We're in Nehemiah chapter 4 as we continue our series in Nehemiah. If you have one of those Bibles, it's on page uh, 227. And we'll uh, begin with uh, 4 verse 1. Uh, this is God's inerrant word. Let's give it our attention. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish it up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, Yes, what are they building if a fox goes up on it? He'll break it down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunts on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in the land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall and all the wall was joined together to half its height. For the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the wall of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemy said, they will not know or see until we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to them 10 times, you must return to us. So in the lowest part, of the space behind the wall and open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, and your wives, and your homes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I wish opposition was not a reality of this world, but it is. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use this text for our good, that you would set our expectations realistically for what is to come and what we all face in our lives. Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I'm curious if you've ever been bullied in your life, if anyone's ever tried to intimidate you. Uh, one uh, memory that sticks well with me, I don't even remember the kid's name, uh, but when I, I grew up in the church, and there was some kid that just hated me. I don't know why. And uh, in grade school, and then in youth group, I would just see him, I'd get a pit in my stomach. And he was just so cruel to me, um, all the way through. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I'm over it now, it's okay. But uh, uh, kids, have you ever experienced that? Is there anyone, maybe even now, who's being very unkind to you, who's trying to intimidate you? I, I won't go any further. If that's happening, please tell someone. Talk to your parents. You should not face that alone. Well, Nehemiah and the Jews did not face it alone, did they? 
they turn to God over and over again. In this section, we actually see three rounds. You think of a boxing match, three rounds where they attack and there's a response. They attack back three times. And so we've broken that up as our three points. Uh, you see the outline on page seven. It says this, um, uh, take off the gloves in prayer. Verses 1 through 6, um, faith and action aren't mutually exclusive, 7 through 9, and sound the battle cry, 10 to 14. So we'll begin with that first one, uh, take off the gloves. Uh, so just to um, catch you up to speed uh, and to review for those who have been here, we've been studying through the book of Nehemiah. So how did the book start? Nehemiah is in Susa. He's uh, cupbearer to the king, right? Everything's great for him, a real cushy life. But someone comes to him and tells him everything in Jerusalem is terrible. Everything's broken down. And what does he do? He just cries. He mourns. He prays for like three to five months. He's um, so sad about what's happening there. And then finally, remember, he got an opportunity with the king. And a door opened. And uh, the, amazingly, God granted him favor with this king. They could have killed him. Um, but he asked for time off. He went um, back to Jerusalem, remember? He got letters and um, permission for all the wood he needed. God just really opened doors amazingly. He gets there, remember, he secretly snuck around at night and uh, surveyed the wall to see how bad the damage was. And then in chapter 3, we read last week, you remember there's 81 Hebrew names? Um, so 41 groups of people. And we had a map of Jerusalem. And so in chapter 3, cha end of chapter 2, we had his, his kind of rallying speech, right? Remember he said, join us in this good work. Chapter 3, they definitely answered, right? And you just, you went around geographically, all around Jerusalem. And so if you'd been there in this day, I mean, can you imagine? Jerusalem's not, it's not enormous to have people working on the entire wall simultaneously. I'm sure it's quite a sight. And that's where we pick up, right? And so that's a hard job. Enormous task. You had people from all walks of life, remember? You had goldsmiths, kids, you remember any of the people? Perfumers, high priests, priests, right? They're all working out there. And uh, it's really amazing. We get in, then we get to this chapter, and all of a sudden, all this opposition rises up. Yeah, imagine, um, kids, if you were to, you walk out on a limb, and you look back, and someone's sawing your limb off, right? They're really out here on a limb, building this, doing this hard work, and then now all this opposition. A tough situation. Look at verses 1 and 2. Um, kids, I have a, an assignment for you. Look for the word will. W-I-L-L. -L. Circle it all the times you see it in verse 1 and 2. I'll read there. So, uh, Sanballat heard that we were building the wall. He's angry. He's greatly enraged. He jeers at the Jews. Listen to what he says. And also whose presence. Look, in front of my brothers and the army of Syria. No, I'm sorry, Samaria. And so, he's just um, rallying up opposition among people that carry swords, the army of Samaria. What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish in a day? Will they revive the stones of the heap of the rubbish? Burn ones at that. A lot of wills, huh, kids? He's just peppering them with all these. It's, this is um, the weapon of discouragement. I don't know if anyone's ever yielded the weapon of discouragement against you. It's quite a powerful weapon, isn't it? That uh, someone just with words can just cut you off of the knees, right? They, um, they, he's challenging, saying, what are you guys doing? You, do you realize how ridiculous this is? You guys are weak. Then we see Tobiah, look at verse 3, he jumps in too. Yes, what if the, uh, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, will break down the wall. Kids, everyone ever made fun of you? Made jokes about you? This is what's happening, right? They're just ridiculing the Jews. And so what do they do? So they've, they, all, this, all this, this war of words has been leveled on them. 
And uh, verse four is their response. Look how it begins. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. So imagine, here's all these words coming this way. They don't even respond. They turn and they, they talk to God. Or this is what you call a prayer instinct. Um, kids, you all have it. You get scared. Who do you run to and jump in their arms? Mom or dad, right? Kids have this. This should be all of our instinct. When we're in trouble, when someone's yelling at us, when they're trying to intimidate us, that we run to God. We see this with Nehemiah. Look at Oh, but look at his prayers. This is like one of those like sweet, you know, like there's little storybooks with kids' prayers in it. You, you read to your little kid at night. I just want you to imagine this being in, in one of those books. Here's his prayer. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in the land that they're... Wow. You wouldn't find that in any storybook Bible. It goes on. Do not cover their guilt. Do not let their sins be blotted out from your sight. Why do you think he's praying like this? This is not, this is what you call an imprecatory prayer. Uh, last summer, we studied the Psalms. I preached on one of these. Very difficult Psalm, 137. Uh, if this is really of interest, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. I'm going to listen to that sermon. Um, the, what do you do? There's passages in the Bible that are pretty tough prayers. Well, think about this. What if he prayed? I mean, Jesus even prayed, right? Jesus gave us the example. Um, Forgive them of their sins. Right? They do not know not what they do. Why didn't he pray a prayer like that? Well, think about the situation, right? The, all the Jews are probably likely getting intimidated. They're melting. And so this prayer, would this give them courage? Yeah. There's a time to fight fire with fire. Um, kids, I don't know if you know this point where I got that from. Um, so take off the gloves. In boxing, people wear big padded gloves. You know why? So they don't break each other's faces. Right? They'd literally break each other's bones if they didn't wear gloves. And so taking off the gloves is to say, you're now going to fight barefisted. This is kind of a barefisted prayer, isn't it? There's a time for that. There absolutely is a time for that. They're crying out for justice and God's wrath on their enemies. I mean, imagine in World War II, if you heard a soldier in World War II pray as a believer, pray this prayer and say, God, I pray that someone would shoot Hitler in the head until he's dead. Would you judge that man and say, what are you doing? You can't pray that. You'd say, no, that would save hundreds of thousands of lives. It's a very re reasonable prayer for a soldier to pray. This is that type of prayer. There are evil people who are, and look at, look at, this is great. The you in verse five, who do you think at the end of the verse, who's that you? For they have provoked you to anger. If you look at the beginning of verse three, it's God. See, Sometimes I think we, we go to God and we feel like he's emotionless and we have to talk him into caring about our suffering. Do you ever feel like that? Like, God, this is my situation. Could you care about me? Could you? I, I really need you to care about this. Sometimes maybe wives, you feel like that with your husbands. I need you to care about this, honey. Um, God is never like that. God is never like that. He is more angry than you are. That's what we see in this prayer. You see, this is not Nehemiah's city. This is God's city. This is not Nehemiah's work. This is God's work. You see what Nehemiah connects and says, God, you are angry. I know it. Do you see that there? God cares way more about your suffering than even you do. He's way more upset about it. You know, when I was a kid, um, I have a very kind father. Uh, if you ever meet him, very kind man. And, um, and so I can just remember many times being at the dinner table, um, talking mid-sentence, 
And my dad would just look at me with just a perplexed look, and I'd just stop mid-sentence. I would just, it just paralyzed me. I was like, what, Dad? He was like, son, like, you can't just stop talking because you think someone doesn't like what you're saying. And um, so um, in my life, God has very graciously given me a whole lot of experience with people that want to intimidate me. I would be very fine to have not had all those experiences. But what God used that in me was because you don't want a pastor who stops mid-sentence because he thinks someone's look. I'd never make it through any sermon. <laughs> Believe me. Right? What are they thinking? You know, all these people are looking at me, right? And so <clears throat> this is <clears throat> what they do. What he does is he turns back to God because there's all this intimidation. Aren't they trying to intimidate the Jews? What are you doing? You're so weak. A fox could knock down your wall, right? And he turns to God to give him courage to stand. We need that same courage. We need that same courage. Well, I wish that this was all there was in this passage. Oh, hold on. Before we go to the next point, there's verse six. Look at the outcome. I love this. Six. Um, so we built the wall so all the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. Key application here is don't stop. When the pressure is on, don't stop. You have to keep marching forward, right? That's why the opposition is there to get you to stop. If you were to remember in Ezra, Ezra is the story of rebuilding the temple in chapter four, they stopped, right? War of words often works. Many people have been stopped with nothing more than words. Can you be stopped with words? Just some rude comments, some, most of us can. We are far more easily intimidated than we'd like to admit. It's not just kids that are. It easily happens to adults. Okay, so ding, ding, round two. All right, so it's going to start all over. Uh, second point, uh, faith and action aren't mutually exclusive. Look at verse seven. Uh, Sanballat and Tobiah. And the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites. Okay, we now have them surrounded north, south, east, west. Completely surrounded. They heard the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward, and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, and they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. So if words weren't enough, we'll come physically stop them. They're upping the ante, aren't they? This is often the way intimidation works. If it doesn't work at first, you just put more pressure on. I bet you can guess how they responded. Look at verse 9. And we prayed to our God. Again, they turn immediately back to God. But here's the interesting thing. The verse doesn't stop there. Look at the rest of that verse. They do two things. We prayed and we set a guard. Oh, those faithless Jews, why'd they do that? I mean, if they just had more faith. Couldn't God keep them safe? Why would they need a guard if God's going to keep them safe? What do you think? Is faith and action mutually exclusive? No. No, it is clearly not. It's clearly not. But they do start with the right place, don't they? They start with prayer. And as, as Todd mentioned, we did that yesterday, didn't we? I mean, think about it. Thousands and thousands and thousands of prayer were prayed yesterday. If you add up all of our prayers that were prayed in this community by four churches, we had the Anglicans, the Baptists, and non-nominational church, and us all praying, right? And so we're mounding up all these prayers before God because we really believe that if we want to see God do something big in this community, we probably should ask him. And we do it each year. We fast and pray. Right? But is it only that? No, we also take action. We actually talk to our neighbors. Right? We aren't just expecting God to just drop them all here. 
right? Faith and action are not mutually exclusive. A couple verses, if, if this is an area of struggle for you with being intimidated as it was for me much of my life, uh, two great verses. Uh, Psalm 20, verse 7, it says, Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Psalm 20, verse 7, this is Psalm 56, 3 and 4. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose name, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? What can flesh do to me? I love those verses. I've said them often when I was frightened. What keeps us from being intimidated is not our plan or even our defenses. There is a place for action. But our ultimate trust is in God. If you start there, it gives you the peace to then move forward. Because if you just trust in your plan, that's not going to work. And if you only pray, there is a place for action, right? That's, there's nothing wrong with an alarm system. Nothing wrong with insurance. There's nothing wrong with locks on your stuff, right? But your trust isn't in any of those things, right? Your trust is in God. And so it was for the Jews. Faith and action aren't mutually exclusive. All right, we have one more round here. So this is titled, Sound the Battle Cry. Sound the battle cry. So not only are their neighbors opposing them, look who else opposes them. Verse 10. In Judah. Who lives in Judah? Jews. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burden is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. It's as if to say, just give up now. This is hopeless. You know, it's really hard when the opposition comes from within, isn't it? One of the people are like, why are you even trying? Just give up now. That's hard to overcome. But unfortunately, it's not just those from inside. Look at verse 11. And our enemies who still haven't given up say this. They will not know or see when we, now they've now surrounded, they have all the nations around them, will come and kill them and stop the work. Verse 12. Oh, there's more opposition. We're back to the inside. Boy, you feel for the, these Jews in Nehemiah. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions. And kids, how many times did they say this? Look at the verse. Yes, 10. 10 times they said, you must return to us. Imagine your relatives, your friends, and your neighbors all coming to you. 10 times. You got to give up. You got to come home. It's just not worth it. You're going to get yourselves killed here. Come back to safety. Or this has got to be really hard. So look how they respond. Verse 13, so in the lowest part of the space behind the wall, in open spaces, I stationed the people by their clans with the swords and spears and the bows. Now remember back to our previous chapter, who is this great fighting force he has? This is a highly trained military fighting force here. I see some smiles. No, this is the perfumers. How many classes do you think in perfume school do they have on hand-to-hand -hand combat? Or how about goldsmiths or the priest? Probably not many. But you see, they're motivated, not by their training. They're motivated because they believe that this is God's city. And we are God's people. And God's going to show up and keep us safe. So as they all hunch down with all these weapons that Nehemiah has given them, their confidence is in the Lord. Now, that's very important. And we should do the same thing. Where are you most vulnerable? Where's your family most vulnerable? to intimidation or to attack, right? This is what he does. The lowest parts of the wall, this is where he stations people. So think, for you, 
Where are you most easily discouraged? Where are you most, what context, what situation? You know, Satan has been around a long time. He knows what buttons to press. Where are you most vulnerable? Set extra guard there, we see here. But I love how this last verse, look at this last verse, verse 14. And I looked and I rose, this is Nehemiah, and I said to the nobles, the officials, the rest, he's talking to everybody. And what does he say? Do not be afraid of them. So you call it imperative, it's a command. Do not be afraid of them, but the next three words are critical. Remember the Lord. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. The only way that you can sustainably not be afraid of this world or the devil or your flesh is to remember the Lord. And then he describes him. He says, who's great and awesome. Now, kids, I, like you, use that word quite often. Awesome, right? It just means cool, right? Well, it used to mean something else. Awesome meant like all striking, like it would knock you down. You'd fall on your face in fear and terror. You know the King James translates this? The great and terrible. That might not be any more helpful to you. (laughs) But God is so incredible. He strikes fear in his enemies. Not to us, because he's our father. But we have a great and awesome God. I mean, you think there's so many places in the Bible. uh, Isaiah 6, when he sees God. Uh, Revelation, you look at the pictures of God. It's pretty intimidating. It's not the Jesus you see in the storybook Bibles. He will come back on a war horse. He will be great and awesome. He reminds the people, remember the Lord. This is the way you will not be intimidated. Kids, this is how you cannot be intimidated by bullies. Remember the Lord. Your God is bigger than the bully. It's true for all of us. Anyone who tries to intimidate you, God is bigger than them. But he goes on. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, and your daughters, and your wives, and your homes. He's saying, do you realize we, we all know what's at stake here? Right? They come through here. It's our wives, and our kids, and our homes. That's pretty motivating. So, who's he addressing? You can narrow it down. You can cross out all the people he's listed, and who's left? Well, I guess it's the dad's. He's speaking to the fathers, the men. And so men, let me speak to you for a moment, whether you're married or single. Think about this. So, think about your families. Is there any, would your family ever be under attack? Now, no one's shooting arrows at them. But does the world have any plans for your family? Would it like to discourage them, deceive them, lead them to despair? Absolutely. Whose primary job is it to pay attention to that? It is yours. It is yours, men. It is our job to pay attention to what's going on and set up a defense. Set up a defense. You know, I think um, many of you have heard me quote these verses to you. Um, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. You know, because we actually from Nehemiah's day have some, fathers, I'll come back to you, don't worry. (laughs) That Nehemiah um, didn't have this. Um, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 uh, says this. It says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off any, everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on who? Who? There you go. It's a good Sunday school answer. Fixing or looking to Jesus. 
You see, in the Old Testament, it's the same God, Old Testament, New Testament, but there was a time when people actually laid their eyes on Jesus. They actually walked with Jesus. The disciples actually walked with Jesus. And so that can be very, very encouraging. Because when we remember the Lord, we remember the Lord that came to earth and there was a showdown. It was another boxing ring. You may remember uh, Jesus went to the desert. He fasted for 40 days. We fasted for one day and we were all very thankful for Chick-fil-A last night, weren't we? Amen? 40 days he fasted. And then he had his little showdown with Satan. Now, just so you know where the, the record stands, this is undefeated Satan in this one corner. Every human being who has ever faced him, all the way back to Adam and Eve, has always lost. We always fail. Humans, we always give way. This is the first time ever that a human being, Jesus from Nazareth, stood up to Satan and he lost three times. Then he goes through his ministry, he goes to the cross, and he delivers and rescues all of us, his bride. Then he defeats death and he rises again. Then he sends his spirit into the believers at Pentecost. Satan's toast. That was when Satan was defeated. You have a defeated foe. Now he is still present. That's very inconvenient, but he is still present. But he is defeated. You fight a defeated foe. You need to fight like that. You see, one of the most powerful tools of intimidation is false power. That's what most bullies do. They're actually the same size as you, many of them. They just yell louder, and they use big words. It happens with adults, doesn't it? Guys just get loud, and, right, and they try to intimidate others. But they don't have real power. Satan is the same way. Satan doesn't have real power anymore. And so when you face intimidation, we can face it very, very differently. Very, very differently. Now, sometimes the opposition actually comes in your own head, doesn't it? Does anyone struggle with thoughts in their head? of discouragement, condemnation. Who are you? What are you, what are you trying to do? You're, you fail all the time. Do you ever hear those voices in your head? Those are tough to, to beat, aren't they? 2 Corinthians 10.5 says this, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion risen against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. There's a battle in your own head, isn't there? But you have the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit. He will help you battle those thoughts in your own head of discouragement and despair. Has anyone ever heard stories from the early church? Anyone ever heard of Nero? Not a nice dude. So he would like to burn Christians, throw them to lions. You would have thought that would have just stamped out. He was trying to stamp out Christianity. He didn't like it. Was that real successful? No. The believers in the early, it's, if you re read the stories, it is unbelievable, their courage. They were unstoppable. They said, do whatever you want with our bodies. We're going to heaven if you kill us. We will not stop. Nothing could stop them. They were immovable. Oh, that we just had an ounce of that in our day. No one's threatening you. No one's going to burn you at the stake. Not, not anytime soon. But they can still intimidate. They can absolutely paralyze us and stop us in our tracks. Oh, there would not be so. Well, one danger, I think, another application of this, as we begin to wrap up, is if you face opposition, if you face suffering, it does not mean God is not with you. It's actually the inverse. Every good work of God has always faced opposition. Our church 
has and will face opposition. Your family will face opposition. You personally will face opposition. If you listen to God at all, you will face opposition. We just have to prepare ourselves for it. It does not mean the sky is falling or something's wrong. This is very normative. Very normative. So when scientists and teachers try to intimidate you and discourage you that you believe in a supernatural creation, do not give way. When skeptics try to intimidate you and ridicule you that you believe in miracles and the reliability of the Bible, do not let them intimidate you. When entertainment tries to intimidate you and and normalize every sexually deviant behavior, do not be intimidated. Or when the news condemns every biblical ethic that you hold dear, do not be intimidated. We still face intimidation in our day. Our world has opinions about what we think and what we hold dear. And so, back to the men. I hadn't forgotten about you. You're in the hot seat. You are the primary gatekeeper to your family. I guarantee the world is not sleeping and it has not stopped preaching to your children, preaching to your wife to try to discourage them, deflate them. It is our job to speak in the face of that. Wasn't it great how Nehemiah stood his ground? Think about what the Jews would have done. They'd lived under this discouragement until he showed up and someone had the audacity to say, enough is enough. This will not go on. Isn't it cool how he does that? Men, it is our job. There are many ways that you can do this. If you aren't reading the Bible with your kids, please start there. Please at least start there with your family. We should be opening up God's word. It is the best defense that I can think of. There's no greater. If you are going to keep your family from being defeated by the world and Satan and their flesh, you've got to use the word of God. There's nothing more powerful Look at Ephesians 6, the armor of God. Your only defensive weapon is the word of God. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. My prayer for all of you is that you would never be intimidated. We do not need to be. We serve the great and awesome God. Let's pray. Father, this is easier said than done. Lord, we are all men and women and children of weak constitution. We're easily intimidated. And the world is well trained. And generally, they're the majority. Lord, I pray that you would give us courage like you did Nehemiah. And you were with him. The work went on. Lord, I pray that you would allow the work to go on in our church, in our homes, in our own lives. Lord, I pray that any men who are discouraged who feel deflated, defeated, Lord, please fill them up. Give them strength, new hope, that they would fall on their knees before you and cry out for a new measure of courage. I pray the same for mothers and even children, that they too will face ridicule for believing the Bible, for not doing what other kids do. Lord, please help us. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.